no, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay. It's no, funny. you know what, we're back. But we're back, but it's funny because, you know, and this might be a podcast where we're talking a lot about tonality. Uh-huh. The tonality of my, like, intro year doesn't match at all what we do for the rest of the podcast. But it matches who you are. It and is. that's who, you know, we have to be representative to ourselves, true to ourselves. That's true. And shortly before, you know, we let you listeners into our weird <laughs> world, uh, I was calling myself Loud Tabit mm-hmm. and calling Yousef Quiet Yousef. It's you know it's our tag line, tag signs <laughs> it's, when we're playing. It makes like, me goose, games. right? Yeah, you're like you're like <laughs> Maverick and I'm Tubby. goose. Eject. Oh, loud Tubby. No, Eject loudly. Eject. I can't hear you. You're too quiet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but uh, we are Tubby and Yusuf, and this is the video game hour. Yeah. Uh, and this uh, game of the hour, we are talking about a game from a franchise that is very near and dear to my heart, uh, the Yakuza series. So we're talking mm. about Yakuza O. Uh, a prequel. Is it o or zero? O zero. O. O. Zero. Yakuza. There's not a letter. <laughs> Ozo. Irzo. Yeah. Zero. Zero. Uh, Yakuza 80s edition. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is a prequel story set in the Yakuza universe. Uh, Yakuza is a game series that is both. Uh, it's so it's made. It's published by Sega, um, and it's actually kind of. And you know, check me if you disagree here. I think it's actually kind of like a spiritual cousin of uh, Shenmue. Uh, really... I can't disagree because I have not played Shenmue. Oh, okay, okay. So I played Shenmue. Uh, I at least played through the end or the middle of the end of the second disc of Shenmue back on the Dreamcast. And Shenmue was a game that really was about a sense of place and culture. It was one of the first games I ever played that had like a, a clock where like the citizens would like all like come and go. And and actually, it was really a, a sto- Shenmue was a st- sort of a story peopled by the mundanity of real working people. So like at some point, famously, there was like a forklift challenge where you had to like work a shift. Mm. using a forklift to like Mm. move shit around which in many ways actually mimics the sort of overall structure and flow of every yakuza game because every yakuza game uh, in the franchise is it tends to be centered around this core cast of characters uh kazuma kiryu um uh, goro majima um and the dojima crime family and so the Goro, Majima, and Kiryu are the sort... Kiryu is like the ultra-protagonist, always in a, dressed in a white suit, um, you know, like, kind of like Yakuza gangster with a heart of gold. And Goro Majima on the other end is this, like, hyper-wild, super-crazy dude with, like, a terrible bowl cut and a penchant for outright insanity. Oh, and he has only one eye. He has an eye patch. And it's the, these you didn't dudes have like, a Volcut in zero. Oh boy, you gotta beat that game, boy! Alright, so we're gonna have to also say, Yusef, disclosure, you haven't finished the game. I have not. No. That's okay. No. I, I understand, you know, yeah. a very important game came out on a very important system yeah. that has kind of distracted both of us. But I have finished the game, so I can at least sure. talk about plot points later on. But he yeah, eventually sure. gets a bowl cut. Um sorry. So that's it's like a brief intro. It's like a it's like a beat 'em up. A very small open area game where you can wander around essentially a recreation of one of the sort of uh, it's it's a weird amalgamation of a bunch of different districts in Tokyo that they call Kamurocho. It's a fictional uh, district and it kind of combines like parts of Shibuya, parts of Shinjuku uh, and even parts of what the electric district, district what do they call it? Um, Akihabara? Akihabara, yeah. yeah. And so you're like in this thing where you know compared to other open world games uh, oh, recurring theme of sandbox versus playground, but kind of like in other open world games, um, or unlike other open world games, it does not give you expanse. It does not give you lots of square footage to run around in, but what it does is it gives you a tiny district with 
an incredible density of content mm. uh, and populace within that district. So even though you're only really playing like literally tw- twenty by twenty blocks, mm-hmm. every less than that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> every single corner is jam packed with shit to discover. Absolutely. I mean, it's very. I mean, you don't drive, so that's I think a big distinction from other open world games where you kind of end up speeding through the world and missing the you know the not not getting to stop to smell the flowers per se. And this game is all about smelling those stinky flowers <laughs> stinky you know because it's cool, japanese yeah. gangster flowers it yeah exactly it's like this um dank dirty city like kind of uh full of alleys and mm. and weird people in very uh, weird, weird people. people all over giving you cool missions and sometimes weird missions and <laughs> uh always memorable ones actually quick yeah. shit what was do, do you have any memorable side missions that you were that actually you one that was kind of some of a watershed for me was uh, for Majima when uh, you have to help break this this woman's daughter out of a cult. Oh yeah, that was a great one. It was really cool because I was like, it was basically right before Majima. It's like he's basically tasked. One of his plot points is he's tasked to kill somebody. That's his main intention in the game. Yes. And I'm like, mm, okay, what, is this guy really gonna go through with it? Like he's basically a gangster, and he has clearly. Uh, very dedicated to getting back into the Yakuza, but then um, when you do this mission, you're just like, he's just doing this because he's just a good guy. He's a good guy. And yeah. he's like concerned about this woman basically going to be raped by the cult leader. Yep. And of course, it's a damsel in distress scenario, oh uh, which the game is full of. Totally. So there's that aspect of it, which is problematic. But otherwise, it serves to prove that, that it serves to show that Majima is like deep down really good and not just a thug and it i don't know it's just like a special in that way it's like a side mission that fills out the character rather than a side mission that's that's purely distraction yeah i think there's actually two points that i pull out because i've been playing a bunch of these games i love the yakuza games but there's Mm -hmm. two things that have been uh kind of dramatically consistent throughout the entire series one is the total shitty representation of women Mm -hmm. it's like laughably bad it's all damsels damsels in distress it's all, like, ineffectual women who can't keep up with these, like, hard-brooding men. Um, and women are honestly relegated to, like, the sex trade, uh, the hostess trade, um, and just, like, straight-up vocational, like, retail work and stuff like that. And then the second theme that has been consistent throughout is that these gangsters, they don't kill. There is, like, a no-kill code. And if you realize it, despite all the cartoonish, ridiculous violence of the whole scenario, uh, by the end of the game, um, there are remarkably few fatalities especially as committed by our two leads mm-hmm. uh goro majima and uh kiryu they don't kill they they make a big emphatic point about not killing and it drives a lot of the sort of pathos especially for majima's story when he's being asked point blank to kill so it's just yeah. strangely like terrible treatment of women terrible representation of women and no kill it's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. It's a mixed but bag. It's true. That, that is a really good point. And it goes to show, you know, like, when people have made criticisms criticisms of other Western games, like, say, Uncharted, where it's like, why do you have to kill a million people? You actually don't. You like, don't. Yeah. Uh, this game makes death meaningful, uh, which a lot of games don't. Absolutely. In fact, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting because without a mountain of dead bodies, a mountain of beaten down bodies in dramatic fashion, mm-hmm. but... Without a mountain of dead bodies, I found myself at multiple times really considering 
the the power structures that all of these characters are submitting themselves to mm. because there were such rigorous codes of behavior uh, and fidelity like uh, like basically loyalty to your clan or to your your um, your crime family and it was amazing especially in the case of Kiryu uh, how he would just bend over backwards for you know his pseudo father figure uh, but then also for his actual rank and file above him even though he knew that this you know, mafia group, this Yakuza group was betraying him, how he would stay sort of loyal to them. So it was interesting because I, I kind of tried to think about boiling the game experience down to a couple of words, like keywords. I thought about like power, love, and loyalty. There was just like a lot of power play, like status, high status, low status, who's powerful, who's, who can tell me what to do. There was a lot of love, and I can get into that a little bit later. Hmm. Just a lot of love uh, in the game uh, of various types, and loyalty was a huge component, like thematic component of the game. Yeah, I noticed that too. I mean, especially with Kiryu in the beginning, where you're just like, you're just put, he's he's just eating so much shit, yeah. uh, just because of the power structure and the rank the rank structure of the yakuza. Like every every step he's taking is to um, figure out. It's like a very narrow and treacherous path mm-hmm. to actually seeking justice in a structure that gives him so little flexibility to work with like you know he basically has to be a yes man he has to follow orders yes um but he also realizes that his orders are wrong so it's kind of about figuring out you know um balancing your loyalties kind of where Absolutely. like yeah the loyalty to the father figure versus the loyalty to the organization yeah and it, it's interesting too because i think from a game structure standpoint you know, we now live in a market, a marketplace, or we now play games within a marketplace where a lot of Western influence has really crept into game design. Mm. And I remember one of the sort of classic examples of sort of delineating or differentiating between uh, Eastern and Western uh, game design principles was the idea of um, agency. This idea that you, as a, especially as a Western or an American game play a player of western developed games you expected a level of freedom and of choice about your character's actions interactions and growth that you traditionally would never get in a in a japanese designed game and i'm I'm, i think the comparison begins with rpgs but i think it even goes way deeper than that and this is a perfect example like this game is incredibly on rails Mm -hmm. like it's telling you one story and it's a role-playing game in the sense of you are playing a role, and that role is not you. It's not Yusef yeah. as Kiryu. It's Yusef controlling Kiryu on the path that he is designed to be on. Mm. And certainly there's agency to wander from that path and go off and do these amazing side missions and weird side activities that just like are more of a cultural exploration, I think, than anything related to gameplay like more mm-hmm. it's it's more about like uh, cultural survey of like japanese urban culture versus you're like, talking about like the pachinko parlor pachinko parlor the gambling karaoke hostess bar like there's some stuff that is genuinely and deeply japanese about this absolutely game. it's very um, it's a cultural object for sure yeah and, and I, mean, I mean i do i would do want to say that the, though the side missions do build up the character certainly money and, right um not not in terms of leveling i mean in terms of narratively mm, yes. um like i was saying with majima like showing how he's good at heart um mm-hmm. and there's that really good mission with uh, early on with kiryu where uh the kid wants to 
video game. Oh, and yeah. And you go and get it for him. And it's like kind of a really comic uh, setup because basically the mission is the kid wants a video game and uh, he, he gets it stolen from him by a bully. And then Kiryu's like, all right, I'll get it back. And you beat up the bully, but then the bully's already been... Uh, mugged by somebody else yeah and you kind a of, harder criminal yeah, yeah it's a kind of like a, a larger and larger series of fishes yep. eating smaller fishes and yep. you're just beating them all up to to try and find the game and you eventually get up to this guy who's basically a yakuza or a gangster of some kind and like in my playthrough he actually shot me which is like super annoying oh, um, no. and i was like oh that's the first time i was i got shot yeah it was immediately followed by you finding out that the guy is, is the child's father and he stole the game to give to the kid and yeah. it's like this amazing loop where he was like Oh, I, I I didn't have to do any of this. Like this is like this this funny thing where I'm trying to interrupt this uh, social system, this structure, and all I get for is getting shot. And you still <laughs> lie to the kid to make his dad look great at the end of that mission because you're a good guy. <laughs> and there's always this really interesting thing, and this happens throughout the Yakuza series. So I know I've probably got a little bit more uh, like exposure to mm-hmm. it, but the games always come on as incredibly melodramatic and serious. But actually, they are full of laughs. Mm-hmm. The Yakuza games, the Yakuza games are hilarious. They are, they are yeah. always really, really funny. There's so many moments where I'm just like laughing out loud, and that mission was one of them because it's like it's essentially like a comic foil. Like yeah. every time you catch up to your mark, he was just getting mugged yeah. by the next guy, yeah. and so on and so forth. So just this great like chicken and egg kind of thing, or not chicken and egg, like this just like. So wild goose, wild yeah, goose chase. chase. Thank yeah. you. Perfect. Wrong foul. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, and it, it's really funny. And actually, um, on the sort of flip side of that, there's also this. I don't know if you found the mission, but there's this like young teenager who's like worried that his girlfriend is like selling herself for uh, for sex work. Mm-hmm. And so you, as uh, Kiryu, you like go and track her down and follow her. And it turns out that she's a Burusera salesperson. She's selling her lightly used undergarments mm. to pervy men. <laughs> and you, like, shut the whole ring down by, like... Like, basically, like, you go to convince this, like, bully girl that's older than the, the girlfriend that you're trying to, like, bring back to the boyfriend. And, again, this is, again, a perfect example of, like, the terrible sort of weird representation of women throughout mm. this. Um but it's this hilarious thing where you're like, this is like the filthiest side mission I've ever played in a video game where this like underage girl is selling her lightly used underwear. And of course, nothing graphic happens on screen, but like the implications are sure. like horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a cultural touchstone for, for Japan. Weirdly enough, there used to be vending machines that would sell lightly used underwear that was promised to be worn by schoolgirls. Like, yeah. This is like a thing, as terrible as the morality of it might be. Uh, but you end it with like a basically like a the more you know sequence from the end of old like sitcoms where like the mm-hmm. star would come out and be like let me tell you guys there's different ways to make spare money in your spare time like <laughs> this isn't the way and there's yeah. just like there's a moment of like oh hol- thank you yeah. for showing me the right way and then of course she immediately <laughs> is smitten by Kiryu mm-hmm. so now like she can like she'll like follow you around and turn up in weird places really? and be like oh hi Kiryu <laughs> and you're like ugh like this yeah. is so weird oh. Oh, like what are you doing and he's like this so- is most, the most I can express my displeasure is by slightly frowning exactly <laughs> and he's I mean throughout the entire franchise he's been known as this like stoic yeah he's he's meant to like not say much and he's actually kind of meant to be a doof like he's not supposed to be super intelligent yeah. there's a couple of jokes throughout the critical path where they're like you're not all there are you Kiryu and mm-hmm. they're like they take the piss out of him a little yeah, bit which yeah. is kind of fun uh-huh. um, but yeah it's just this really interesting weird dynamic like mm. those telephone cards right you wander yeah. around this world and you can find these telephone cards that are emblazoned with these like scantily clad clad like softcore you know idols like these like um you know 
attractive Japanese women that like basically do this like softcore porn stuff. Hmm. And then if you find these cards, then you can take those cards to an actual like 1980s adult video booth and watch like a, an actual live action like VHS tape mm-hmm. of that model like yeah. blowing bubbles in a bikini. And it's not like mm. it's nothing like terribly like risque or anything. Yeah. But the fact that that shit was programmed into the game, you're like, what are we doing? Like and your character explicitly jerks off too. He jerks <laughs> off and it gives him full like like not stamina, uh, not um uh life, it gives him spirit. Uh-huh, which is yeah, used to like, increase his like beat down capacity. <laughs> it cuts out. He's gonna beat up yeah. so many bad guys. He beats off to beat down, yeah. and it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. And like, there's really no. I mean, I don't know. I personally can't like defend the choices that the developers made or the writers made. But... I mean, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't think sex is like a bad thing in a no, game. No, 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 not for at all. sure. But yeah, it's like the way it's framed in that. It's like, I mean, it's maybe reflective of the developers of the culture. Um, it's hard to say, but it's like, yeah, it's a view of sex that's transactional. Yes. And, and very um, much male-dominated. Yeah, and not really... Yeah, it's not like... a the, Relationships aren't being formed here. These are, like, solitary men who are... And it's interesting, like, there's a weird, like, submission where, like, you go to the, the jerk-off place, and the guy who runs it is like, oh, you like... Jerking off too? That's great. That's I love, great. Jerking, I love off. jerking off. And yeah. it's like you, we form a friendship with a jerk off. Did you uh, meet the, clerk. the horny man? The old I met horny the, man? the horny man. Oh yes. my god! So if you keep going to these places, now mm. I've admitted, now I've gone to these places well, a couple you gotta of times. Explore all the because it's a side mission. It actually yeah. you build up your relationship with the counter guy at the video store, yeah. and he can become one of the managers of your uh, coercion based real estate business mm. later <laughs> in the game. It's crazy. There's like whole systems within systems in this thing. It's just another side mission too, which is nuts. It is impressive how deep the game goes. Yeah, yeah, each of the side activities that they have have like multiple levels of sort of like internal competition and growth. They can score you relationships with people that can then go to work for your own side business, which reaps like hundreds of thousands of yen in a single go. Mm. It's crazy. But um, <laughs> if you go back to those businesses and you build up that relationship, then you'll start seeing around town that weird underwear clad guy. Mm. And he'll like basically point out hot spots where other women are hanging out. So it's this like really predatory thing where this guy is literally running around with just tidy whities on yeah. doing the most ridiculous dance mm-hmm. as an idol animation mm-hmm. it's hilarious but it's also just like dirty old man yeah it's and, a little bit of like an like uncomfortable laugh <laughs> yeah it is it's, it's so very weird. uncomfortable laugh that was like when the first game first came out on twitter like he was like a big like hit when you first see him in majima's club or whatever yeah. dancing in the corner and you're just, everyone's just like oh what <laughs> what's happening here you know, you don't really know what to make of it. You're like, am I like, yeah, it's kind of like, is this the Japanese thing? Is this a Yakuza thing? Like, Yeah, I feel like it's, I don't know. I, the more I play these games, this is like the third or the fourth game in the series that I've yeah. played, um, the more I love them and the more that I realize that there are incredibly stead and uh, steadfast and sort of repeated themes throughout them. Uh, even character relationships that never change. The Majima and Kiryu relationship was barely explored in this game, mm. I think because they are principally antagonists of each other throughout mm. the rest of the series. Goro Majima is one of the big bads of the game. Franchise. He's so great. He is so great. <laughs> you got to finish the game, homie. We'll see. Because they put him through the fucking <laughs> ringer, man. I mean, they're, like, I already saw the flashbacks. It wasn't pretty. It was not pretty, no. Um, Goro lost his eye when he was sort of betrayed by his own Yakuza boss. Uh, cut it out with a knife. Yeah, for a, for a group that's supposed to be about loyalty, there sure is a lot of betrayal going yeah, on. Yeah, but only from the top down. Yes. What's interesting about it is it's always the the 
position of your boss and this is throughout the series it's always your boss that sells you out mm. if someone on your level tries to sell you out you usually beat the shit Kiryu or whoever else you're controlling usually will beat the shit out of them and another interesting thing is that I, I mentioned this before but like they keep on returning to the same exact district of Tokyo mm-hmm. and I've found it really interesting to play multiple versions of this game because it seems as though every time they return to it they find a different way to explore it. Hmm. Um, there and there's always a secondary location. In this case, it was the secondary city where Goro was setting up his business, where he hmm. was exiled to this other district in uh, in Japan, outside of the fictional Tokyo. So it was like Osaka. Yeah. yeah, it's like in Osaka, basically. So there's always a secondary location, but you always end up playing the majority of the game in the same Kamurocho district, same layout, same everything. But what was interesting was in Yakuza 4, I believe it was, that came out for the PS3 a bunch of years back, they they actually switched the narrative off between four or five characters. Mm. And it was an amazing game. Because what they did was they said, oh, now you're in the same Kamurocho, but we're going to open up the sewer systems and we're going to open up the rooftops. Ooh. And there's a character that can only exist on street level at night and in the, and in the sewer system for the rest of the time. And then there's another character. He's like a homeless dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's another character. Very John Wick, too. Yeah, very John Wick. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, and another character that can like have access to the rooftops. So they always find this really interesting way to recontextualize the space. And I think here, in this game, it was mostly recontextualized just by temporality. This was a prequel. And so you were getting to play through the Kamurocho of old. The Kamurocho that happened before all of the other drama that you as a player of the Yakuza franchise had sort of like come to understand. And that little empty lot that the whole game kind of revolves around, mm-hmm. it actually, um, spoiler alert, it remains an empty lot throughout the entire franchise. It's so like the beating heart of Kamurocho. In a weird way it is. And in a <laughs> yeah. weird way by not, by like... Actually it reminds me a little bit of um, Pathological. Have you heard of that game? No, no, no. It's just like Eastern European, um, very, um, very like weird and indie game that is almost like, you know, inscrutable. And you are walking around this uh, small town full of like weird residents, and it has this kind of Tim Burton-y, dark, weird, morbid vibe. Cool. And everyone's like getting sick of this disease, and it's a little bit horror themed. And then it comes out that the game is like kind of inside of a monster, and like or the town inside is inside of Holy a monster, fuck. inside of like a giant body, and like you know, so many of these crazy um, events are tied back to the fact that you're in a beast or in, a, in an animal. That's so cool. It's very cool, very high concept, awesome game. I mean, like, I've never played it, but from reading about it, like, it's just, like, so interesting. And are there many other games where, like, throughout a franchise history, you keep returning to the same location over and over again? Like, on purpose? Or you, you only... There's a little bit of that Mass Effect where you go back to the Citadel, you know, and they change it. Yeah, that's it, true. But it's, like, they change it dramatically. That, yeah, the Citadel, the like, half of yeah. it was, like, cut yeah. off in oh, the yeah. second game. After the, fir- after the first game, they were like, no more big Citadel. Yeah, no more Citadel. We're just Low going, time yeah. <laughs> we're just going to... No yeah. more elevators. This is, or the only elevator. Only and then, yeah. and then, like, this game floor. is all elevators. Yeah. So like, uh, there's that. Um, but for the most part, people like uh, there's the. I guess there's, there's the Mushroom Kingdom. Yeah, but there, but even but that's here. Japanese too. I feel under if it's like a Western developer, um, uh, a oh hesitancy to retread the same ground. You know? Maybe we're like stuck in some weird American expansionist mode. Maybe yeah. our imaginations seek new spaces. Well, they look at like because uh, people. It's funny when people. Look, say like complain about mario like as like kind of retreading the same topic like say mario kart and then there then um someone will, re, will rejoin rejoin with um call of duty but even call of duty 
they're always changing the war a and new the technology. Desert, and a new China, a new enemy. A new enemy. A new threat. A new, new technology arm. A you new have, yeah, you have a bionic arm, mission. you have a bionic leg, the bionic head. Now there's the swarm of bugs that are electronic. Now there's nanomachines. So they're kind of like and like so it never uh, feels I mean it feels the same but it never feels the same. Call of Duty, man. But it's afraid to revisit the old things I would think. But then I think so certainly with Mario and Zelda and a lot of those series like they're kind of refining the original uh this original like kind of um platonic ideal of what the game is supposed to be. Right. I mean perhaps we don't have a long enough memory as western developers to really have a confidence in re-showing a similar place or a similar story over again. We're constantly infatuated with the new and the next. Um, I was thinking about it too when I was like, um, when I was in Japan, I was studying some, I was looking at Japanese film um, a few years, or when I was in college for like a semester, and then we were looking at, um, you know, stuff like Godzilla and mm-hmm. also um, the, there's a samurai series that I'm like blanking on. That was like that had like uh, Takechi Kitano was like one of the major characters in it, where they would just basically recreate the same like Zatochi. Yeah, Zatochi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blind, yeah, blind, yeah, blind yeah. swordsman. I love that. So it has like ten or twelve or twenty. Yeah, they movies. have like a bunch of movies. Yeah, in that franchise. it's like I was like, I wonder if there's like there's a link there where it's like you know like because you know we have that here was like some things like Transformers, Batman, the Marvel stuff like where they kind of recreate stuff. But we're just hitting that point. It's I think true. Our, I feel like our cultural pendulum is now just swinging back to the recreation of the past. Yeah. This idea of like the Star Wars like retelling the new Star Wars. Exactly, yeah. Retelling like that's like the closest thing we have to that yeah. kind of to Zatoichi to something that intertextuality? Um. I think there's this concept <laughs> called intertextuality. Is it you the me. two Americans who are just saying <laughs> intertextuality is this idea of essentially recreating or revisiting actual moments mm. that were previously explored in some previous piece of art. So like just as almost every beat of the new Star Wars movie was basically pulled from a beat of A New Hope and a little yeah. bit of Empire and Strikes Back and recontextualized, yeah. that's intertextuality. I love it. Yeah. And yeah, it's really interesting how we are just now as a as a society as a industry hollywood like embracing that where i think um in japan and say in other places like korea like in india like you have uh i think that's already been kind of yeah. uh established and and rooted in the culture a lot more deeply and i think yakuza it's that. has that in um, spades and, yeah absolutely oh my god it's interesting i just thought of that but yeah and there was just this interesting thing especially because you know as a longtime player of the franchise what they did with Goro Majima was really great in this game because, as you've noted, he did not have a shitty bowl cut. He is an upright and damn good. moral dude. Yeah, very well manicured. <laughs> um, and then, really, I think my one principal complaint about the sort of narrative of the game is they didn't give enough time for him to transition fully at the end of the game into okay. the insane Goro Majima that we've known hmm. as players for the entire franchise history. It just kind of happened and you knew it was going to happen because this was a prequel and he's like fucking insane for the rest of the franchise. Yeah. But I, you know, with that one complaint there, it was still earned. Like hmm. where the story goes, the tragedy of the story is actually really quite well done. I'm very melodramatic Cool. Soap opera level tragedy, but really fucking cool to see how it affects these characters. Well, and yeah, I'll definitely um, continue playing it. Totally. But I do want to move on to the um, my take on the game. Yeah, and, go for um, it, man. I, and I wanted to speak specifically about the the architectural elements of the game. And we were talking about you know the 
the the way the city is structured and the um way like you're kind of walking around and not driving mm-hmm. and i think that's really interesting to me and, and of the plot that i've um so far experienced it feels very thematically resonant so i wanted to talk about how its strong visual aesthetic reinforces its themes around uh falling from grace and both oh, characters nice. uh have been ejected from their respective clans in the beginning of the game, and they're both forced to ply the streets as civilians and grind their way back into favor. And the streets you traverse are dirty, not in the cinematic and carefully debris-strewn way of your average post-apocalyptic adventure, but in the pedestrian, cramped, and cluttered manner of the streets we stroll through in real life. This echoes the unglamorous nature of your arduous path toward regaining maid status. You're out there with the day's trash and the common folk getting in fist fights in every street corner and slogging through the drunken evening crowds as you schlep from one kombini to the next in search of <laughs> junk food and caffeine to stay upright. <laughs> it's, rare that, it's rare that games force you to experience the lived-in nature of cities. Most cities and games are barren, visited by some past catastrophe, and conveni- conveniently devoid of life. Or they're effective racetracks to be sped through in your stolen car, all blurred lines and broken street lamps. Yakuza uh, roots you to your feet. You have no other means of conveyance. And so you're really forced to become familiar with the dirt and grime and the thugs and drunks. But you also get to witness the innocence and tiny joys that peek in and out uh, between the cracks. Helping a kid get his favorite video game, like I mentioned earlier. um, Or having a chat with a friendly arcade manager about what games you like to play. These are the things you'd miss in any other game, where the objective draws you inexorably forward. Yakuza's slowness and the scale at which you must deal with the city means you get a healthy dose of both the good and the bad, but it feels more real as a result. Perhaps this is again where the game's structure reinforces this narrative. As a Yakuza, you don't really get to see the world through any perspective, but a detached and elevated one, you know, marks to earn a buck from. Mm -hmm. Uh, The majority of what you'll be doing in Yakuza Zero is finding out what's really there, uh, what's really out there, and and as a result, learning how to be a more complete person potentially wow yeah potentially hopefully that's amazing i do i do totally feel you because i think there's all those moments where um i was and this happens often in the late game for me Mm -hmm. where i've exhausted my interest in a lot of the side missions and stuff and i just want to kind of get to the next major plot point Mm -hmm. where the game does an incredible job of like you said populating the city and Mm -hmm. i there's times where you just can't move yeah like you're trying to break into a sprint and you're either shoulder checking innocent people who get knocked the fuck fully over because your character is a because you're just like a giant (laughs) dude in a fucking crisp white suit which would be covered in blood of course if it was really realistic but (laughs) you're just like pushing your way through this really real world and then if you run enough you're gonna shoulder check a drunk guy who's just gonna want a piece of you yeah and now you're stuck into this crazy fight with like wild like electric guitar music and you're like i just want to go yeah and finish the Can game I please walk oh i guess i'm a yakuza and yeah. i have to beat this dude up on principle the game really like kind of um it the streets feel rugged and and um and sticky like you can't yeah. really glide through them like you would in your average open world game you know i was just playing Watch Dogs 2 and mm-hmm. like it's very easy to get around. You drive, you steal a car. You drive really fast. You jump a bunch of things, and you're you're there. Like, uh, and there is a lot of detail in the street, but you never need to see it no. because you just want to get to the next location. And it's a really interesting thing too, because I was talking earlier about how you know love and power and loyalty are big themes here. But I guess I have to qualify it because of what you said. Because like, 
while this is absolutely a power fantasy game, mm. it's a very specific and a very discreet type of power. Kiryu can't really get away with breaking the law. You know, he's he's protected from a certain level of criminality or from, from reproach of his criminality. Mm. But there are cops, you know? There's one of the side mission characters, in fact, that's a cop that stops you, you yeah. and is patting you down. is giving you a stop and frisk, basically. And you have to show him something. Mm-hmm. And if he happens to catch you when you only have violent items on you, he's going to react accordingly. Mm. Now, I always kept a packet of, like, pocket tissues on me, specifically for the cop. Yeah. But that ate an item slot, which are very, very short. Yeah. In, in They're not upgradable. Mm-hmm. You don't get more item slots. So in a weird way, with all the face-smashing power that your character has, it's very much the world that they create and the pace that they put out there that constantly also, like you're saying, smacks these characters down and makes them work for their path yeah. back up to recognition. And it's not even recognition by society. You know, It's not even like any of these side characters that you meet are like, you're a model citizen. Mm-hmm. They're like, you're a freaky Yakuza. Mm-hmm. And as scared as I am, like please buy this thing or please help me find my girlfriend again. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, my problems are so deep. I well, it's like, help. you know, you're literally a god of Olympus who's been, <laughs> yeah. like, struck, stripped. Yeah. Who's been thrown off the mountain and are with the common folk. And you stand out because both characters are literally eight feet tall. They're There's like no eight, way they're yeah. not. They're, it's ridiculous <laughs> how large they are. Um, and you, you stand as a giant in the crowd, but at the same time, yes, you can't run through the crowd without bumping into somebody. Um, you can't cross two intersections without some drunks trying to pick a fight with yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Or um, some other Yakuza. Or uh, Yakuza, or the Men in Black, or uh, the Biker Punks. Biker Punks, <laughs> those are great. Those guys are great. Um, yeah, there's like, the city really like, um, like kind of confronts you and wants you, wants you to face it and deal with it. And as I, I would think, like as a Yakuza, like that's not really your, that's not your role in, when, you're, when you're in the go, when you're in the green, when you're in good with your no compatriots when you're fact, basically yeah the streets would have nothing to say to you if you were good with your compatriots. yeah i mean like the, all the big bosses and um you know slick upper higher ups there you don't see them out on the street oh unless they're shutting a whole block <laughs> down to try to murder you exactly and yeah. people play by their rules they don't yeah. play by your rules exactly they're actually shaping society to fit how they want it to be rather than um being shaped by it which i think your characters are when they um, experiences side missions yeah. and learn from people's like little small seemingly small problems from a higher vantage point but, but when you're on the street they take on a whole new um, import import and they're it's like actually life. yeah they're life and death like when you're like just oh yeah where was I oh I was in the um, uh, the cult helping this woman like be safe like like and this would not matter to you if you had not literally been in like on that street corner <laughs> yeah, at the no, right time. At the right time, exactly. It's um, pretty amazing yeah. how they hide those side missions in yeah. plain sight. Yeah. Because literally, there's so many, especially when you get into the real estate game later, mm-hmm. all of the, there's so many of the businesses you can just walk right into. Like, there's so many properties where you're like, oh, there's a store, it's like a drugstore, and it sells all the power ups, or, oh, this is a general store, and I get like these weird, like, random tchotchkes and stuff that I can use to, like, complete specific side missions or gift to characters whatever but then later on in the game a lot of the stores that you cannot enter Mm -hmm. become businesses that you can purchase or like intimidate into basically joining your real estate group so there's just again such an incredible sense of self and I love the way you're saying it it's like the power that you gain throughout the game is not the unhinged power fantasy that we are so often playing where 
you just become essentially a god mm-hmm. by the end of the game. You're already kind of godlike in strength from yeah. the very beginning of the game because you're like controlled by the player and you mm-hmm. can beat everybody up no matter what. Yes. Power of your fist. But your power is rooted in this place mm-hmm. and by the people that surround you and empower you. So it's a distinct and specific power fantasy that is, I think, weirdly more grounded than a lot of the other power fantasy games that we play. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, speaking of Olympus, like, look at the God of War games, oh, God. like, where yeah, right. Kratos literally would just grab townspeople and throw them, and, like, rip them apart and take their blood to, to feed mm-hmm. himself, you mm-hmm. know? Like, there are bowling pins to be knocked over on the way to the objective. Yeah. Like, it's, it's such a difference in your average... Yeah, it doesn't feel like... Like, you don't feel like you're lording it over these, these people in this town. Like, you don't... Like, I, I never got the impression that these characters necessarily felt like better than them it was no, more about better. a about a feeling of belonging like that they were missing yeah by being kicked out especially like um i mean with both of them equally really like they're like their sense of identity is is so like entrenched in being part of the yakuza and i could see that like because it gives you a whole value system it gives you like uh honor amongst uh, thieves yeah, and a way, a way to be satisfied and... with yeah how your life is going totally and sense you have like majima meaning. who's like owning like a pretty fancy ass club dope ass nightclub yeah but he's not happy because they're he's outside of what would of uh of the yakuza and he's outside of feeling valued like it's interesting because it's like you know a lot a lot of the game comments a little bit on on capitalism and you know absolutely money um, is king where money is such an important part of it but like Mm -hmm. for him it's that's not important at all it's also the very first game in the entire franchise where you use cash money to power up your character Oh, really? That was never done in the franchise before. It was always some other experience point, or some other thing, some other currency, mm. or some other way of leveling up. Mm-hmm. In fact, in Yakuza 4, which I was mentioning before, it was all about finding these specific side missions to learn new moves. Mm. You would find this weird... There's sometimes, a little bit of that, where you had the masters. Yeah, the masters, yeah. exactly. But this was there was no money path to yeah. powering up. It was all through side missions and other mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, or not even necessarily side missions, just progress. Uh, here, I think with capitalism of the 80s being such a strong theme throughout the game, they really did a great job of, again, altering the system slightly to bring it into its new context. Mm. These characters that you love, the intertextuality of basically like these historic you know, fallen gods of Olympus, as you were saying, which I love so much. I think it's actually a really perfect analogy. Uh, but they are repeating uh, or slightly perverting our expectations of their characters in the same exact location with a shifted context and focus. And I think mm. it's a really interesting move. Mm. Um, I found a lot of my greatest joys in the side, side missions as well. There were definitely like, I think like the, the most incredible moments of the game uh, were either the comedic reveals of some of the side missions or some of the most incredible fight sequences that I had ever uh, played in my life. And this is a simple game. It's not like the combat's yeah. like anything to write home about. But it can be real fun. But it can be really yeah. fucking fun. And yeah. you know, a lot of what you were saying, your take on the game reminds me uh, so much, uh, you know, when you, talk, when you talk about like the sort of the people who were exiled from their, their sense of meaning or sense of worth, it's a theme for me, especially when you think about the care with which they are translating or, or projecting a culture to the audience of the game, this Japanese Yakuza culture, it reminded me a lot of the work of Martin Scorsese. And like, there was so much, and this has happened since, you know, Yakuza 3, Yakuza 4, played through both of those. I played through one other game. I believe it was the very, I went back to play the first Yakuza because I loved 3 and 4 so much. Um, It's a consistent sense of care 
that the game's directors take about filmic qualities of this game. It has a lot to do with film, I think. And then specifically Scorsese, because what this game is doing for the Japanese Yakuza culture, Scorsese has done throughout his career with the Italian mob in America, mm. the mafia. Mm-hmm. You know, this is someone who, even pre-modern mafia, was fucking with this theme in Gangs of New York. You know, and then playing with it again, the fallen from grace, fallen from favor in uh, in Goodfellas, right? Goodfellas, like classic Ray Liotta's character, falls out of grace with uh, with uh, the main mob boss when he begins to sell drugs, and that's a big no no in there. So there's a lot of this like search for identity through the regenerative qualities of violence, uh, through mafia, through organized crime through the family we choose versus the family we're born into. Mm. I feel like there's just a lot of that kind of thematic exploration happening throughout the Yakuza series. I feel like there's a weird kinship between Scorsese and Yakuza. That was really interesting because I wonder how much is influenced by, you know, like whether the Yakuza as it's as a, as a thing in real life, like um, influence of the game versus uh, them looking at, American movies, true, and, and like the cultures are so like kind of over interrelated, you know, and, and overlap each other like in a really interesting way. Totally, like, I mean, for ways me, that are hard to comprehend. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think like when I say like it's not just Scorsese, it's filmic all over. Like one of my favorite, favorite, favorite sequ- sequences in the entire game happened very early on uh, when Kiryu is busting into the Dojima family. Uh, headquarters mm-hmm. to try to work his way up to the chairman of the Dojima family so that he can retire, so he can quit and then go save his like father figure because he doesn't want to betray he doesn't want to betray the Yakuza. So he's like, I have to quit the Yakuza so that I can legitimately work against them. Mm. Because I'm so honorable that I won't work against them as like a spy or as like an yeah. interloper. I'm gonna quit and then I'll go fight them. <laughs> so to do this, he has to punch his way through a whole office building and it is incredible. Not because the fighting is great not because the scenario is great, but because of this one amazing character that is created through the violence of that sequence. And he's this henchman. He's a middle guard henchman. He's above you in rank, but he's way below the bosses. Mm. And he kicks you in the face. He's the dude that, like, the boss is like, Kiryu, you, you want to go fight the boss? If you can make it to the boss, mm-hmm. you can fucking, you can talk to him. Yeah. You can retire. Good luck getting out of this room of, like, 24 dudes with, like, spiked clubs and shit. And this one asshole, like, kicks you in the face while you're down and is like, yeah, kill you, I'll fuck you up, blah. Okay, so you're fighting, you're fighting. You're like two or three rooms deep. You've passed all those 24 warriors. And who comes running up behind you but that fuckface middle guard? <laughs> and he's like, I'm back. And he literally is like, I'll get you. Yeah. And you smack him out because he's like a wounded dude. Yeah. You punch him out. Three rooms later, who comes flying through the window at you, but this dude back again for another hit. And you're like, this is amazing. Because they've essentially given a real action movie level of character to this nameless, faceless henchman. Mm. And it's so rewarding when the game takes its time to create characters that are not the main character. Mm. Even if it's someone that just... His whole life's motivation was to just, like, bash your face in this one sequence. And you could see how bad he wanted it. He's bursting through the doors. He's coming after you. He holds your shoulder and turns you around just to, like, look you in the eyes before he tries to punch you. And you handily destroy him every single time. But he's got a real pathos. He's got a real pathos. He's got a real, like, need to take you down. 
where it's a little bit of a mix of pride, ambition. Ambition. Like, if he takes you down, he's going to look real good. Exactly. You know? And then if he doesn't take you down, he's going <laughs> to look real bad. Real bad. And you yeah. make him look terrible. And there's a lot of that desperation there, which yeah. is cool. And then it's a kind of a microcosm of the, his of boss. The, exactly. Like, where the boss himself is looking bad in, in light of your success. Yeah. Storytelling through punching, man. It can be done. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I enjoy the combat. I thought it was really interesting... Um, I had trouble with the bosses, you know, where I would yeah. have to, like, start a few times. Of course. Some of them were super tough. I, though, actually, I haven't gone too far. But even <laughs> from the beginning, they were hard. Like, it's just like, they don't let you make any mistakes. In a lot of ways, actually, I have to say, this is the, the major flaw of the game is that it's super fun, but it's kind of a brute force game. Yeah. You can just, like, you can get secondary weapons and stuff. And, like, I've I kept a whole bunch of secondary sure. weapons just for the boss fights. Yeah. Which are OP for the sake of being OP. I, though, there was a pretty good, like, almost... Like Dark Soulsian, like um, uh, reckoning with one of the boss fights when you fight Oda the first yes. time. Um, oh, I love and that! I was like, fight. this is really tough. And then I was like, you know what? I'm gonna try the fight move where you like you're kind of that weird like hulking gorilla dude who just grabs like everything and throws it at him because um, like, I was trying to like you know be more tactical and like finesse. get behind him but uh, finesse him, but it wasn't really working. Like, he just wasn't getting staggered quickly enough. Totally. So I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. This is literally going to be brute force. <laughs> like, as brute force as you can get, which is the gorilla move basically means that, like, I forgot what it's called, but basically it's like a thug or something. Like, where you, you just, like... Um, you eat damage. You're, you're learned by, like... Which is, like, the one positive female role model in the game. Sort of. Except that I females have traditionally been known that. to, like, not be in control of their yeah, emotions. Agree. You know what I mean? Like, but in I mean, a like, misogyny from, way. Well, like, from her character... Like, that character who, like, is really good at fighting. Yeah, yeah totally. And, like, I mean, I haven't, like done her whole storyline but when you first see her like oh, this woman's pretty oh badass. she's badass no she's super um, badass and yeah she basically teaches you like you could grab anything near you like normally the other fighting modes you have to, modes you have to like pick things up but yeah. this mode you automatically pick everything up and it happened to be in like the the real estate broker yes. guy's boardroom that was like 20, full, of, full of 20 chairs yeah i broke every single nice. piece of furniture in his you were room. standing in an empty room full of debris it, yeah and then like i love it when they finish a fight like you like it respawns all oh yeah all, you're the like, oh everything's fine. fine yeah weird but i was like i fucked up your office man i'm sorry like but this guy was really fucking with me i had to break all the furniture <laughs> in the office every single chair broke over this dude's head amazing yeah Speaking of, you know, wiling out and being beast mode, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll do my Please, take on yeah. the game. So for me, um, when I'm playing through any of the Yakuza titles, I feel as though I'm actually in a survey course of, like, masculinity. Um, there's the straight-up, like, the straight-ahead portrayal of hegemonic masculinity that's most clearly embodied in Kiryu's characterization. And he's, like, the hyper-tough and sometimes comically stoic alpha male, the dragon of Dojima. Uh, and his entire identity seems to be defined by his struggle to provide for his you know, quote-unquote family. His father figure, Kazuma, his brother, Nishiki, uh, and he's a figure of the sort of dominant patriarch uh, whose kind of valor is born of direct or indirect coercion, most often through violence. And he's the prototypical hulking male video game or action movie lead. He plays it to a T, barely yeah. says a word, repeats back what the last person said, and then goes and busts some skulls. Yeah. Then there's uh, the precarious manhood, and these are types of masculinity. I've just like looked up a whole bunch of different types mm. of masculinity. Um, the precarious manhood of Majima, who begins the game appearing nearly emasculated for a Yakuza, right? Nearly emasculated in his manicured and servile behavior. He's continuously played and used by more powerful alpha men, but over the course of his arc, he actually gains status through violence and intimidation. 
And once he's achieved enough personal status, he sort of transforms into his own hegemonic masculinity and throws off the yoke of the other dominating male hierarchies and just basically goes rage crazy. Mm. I know he didn't play that far. Cuts off his ponytail. It makes sense, though. Goes full bow cut. Loses his goddamn mind. Goes full alpha male. But the thing is, for me, beyond the most obvious surface-level violent, homophobic sometimes, and misogynistic, definitely alpha male behaviors, every character in the game is also bursting with softness and vulnerability and, if I may, deep homoerotic bromance. Deep. There are so many manly tears shed by these characters, especially in the second half of the arc of the game, the, of the critical path. And really, emphasis on the manliness of their tears. It's like, mm. they're very manly tears. Mm. Um, they love, all the male characters love each other deeply and passionately. And it actually kind of reminded me of my favorite book, Everything Does, Moby Dick, right? wherein Melville presented a portrait of the manly heroism of these brave whalers who were out to sea for like three years at a time, uh, but was also sure to include many homoerotic themes and interrelationships throughout the journey. From the ongoing debate uh, to the romantic nature of Ishmael and Queequeg's relationship, that's like a big one. A lot of people really read into Ishmael and Queequeg sleeping together in the early sections of Moby Dick mm -hmm. as actually sexually sleeping together and then mm -hmm. continuing their romance on board. Um, to the nearly explicit homoerotic references in the chapter called A Squeeze of the Hand. Uh, and I think there's a clear connection that Melville and the directors of Yakuza's story seem to be drawing between the manliness of masculinity and the manliness of male homosexual relationships in some cases. Now, not, I'm, I'm not categorizing all homosexual relationships as manly, mm. but this brand or this vein of exploring uh, homoeroticism through this incredibly... You know, and I'm finger quoting here, guys. I'm pull quoting like manliness uh, of masculinity. So now I'm definitely reading between the lines and I'm pulling out my own sort of perceived subtext because I'm pretty sure that if I ever met Kiryu, Nishiki, Majiga in real life, uh, Majima in real life, and if I looked deeply into their eyes uh, and honestly like told them my attraction to them, I'd probably get my fucking face rearranged. Mm. Um, but I definitely think that the Yakuza series is ripe for some hot gay slash fiction. So <laughs> I'm sure it exists. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. I did not Google. I really should have Googled that. We should. Okay. In the, in the description, we yeah. should Michelle see knows. if there's some, yeah, if there's some like hot gay slash fiction. Yeah. I think it'd be hot, man. I feel like there's I, so I much. Think so. Well, it's really interesting. Um, because before the, the show, I was like thinking about the term bromance because it's such a problematic term yes. in terms of how men are allowed to express emotion toward each other. Totally. You know, like uh, the idea is that, you know, it has to be called a bromance because men don't have, they have, they're friends, but they're not, you know, they're not gay friends. Like, yeah. you know, they're not like, we're just like, yeah. we're just hanging out yeah. and making a podcast about it's like, video games. Yeah, it's, it's impossible to like, there's so many barriers in the way between like for men to express like affection, um, affection toward each other yeah. straight up affection um, but the game does like really like um, um, I think sell that aspect of their characters and it's interesting how much it is like a, a, an offshoot of their also like rejection of the female sex I know right <laughs> yeah it keeps on coming up with these women who are deeply interesting or deeply interested and I'm, I'm thinking mm -hmm. about the the owner and bartender at the Serena bar, mm -hmm. who's like portrayed by both Nishiki and Kiryu as like the most beautiful woman ever. Kiryu actually shows his attraction to her, mm -hmm. to the camera, like to the player, mm -hmm. more clearly than he does for any other female character whatsoever. But both, I believe, well, more Majima than Kiryu, but both of them basically use women as a means to an end mm -hmm. throughout the game, yeah. especially Majima who owns a 
like a hostess club or like a nightclub and like ends up inheriting a hostess bar as well yeah which is like a playable element of the game um but really yeah you're right i think in the absence of any really serious romance or um substance in the relationship with women yeah the game kind of forces you to find that affection and and sometimes even borderline i'm saying eroticism in these male-to-male relationships. Absolutely. The guy's like, yeah, I love to masturbate too. Hey. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. There are parts of masculinity that in like Western culture you don't really mm. um, talk about. But then it, it made me think also of, you know, my mom's from Tunisia, which is yeah. North African country. And it has certain cultural norms that are pretty alien to me. Like, for example, there's like tea shops where and hookah bars that are just like 100% men. Like women yeah. just don't go there. Yeah. And um, it just looks weird to me as an American until I kind of see that place but at the same time in the same culture men are allowed a way wider range of being of um emotional like not vulnerability necessarily but expression yeah where like yeah like two men can hug each other like um like ride on motorcycles next to you know yeah. holding on to each other holding, each other's waist yeah like kind of the closeness is something that like in america would just be completely like eyebrow raising or kind of frowned upon and it's really interesting how this is mixed up in misogyny. It is. It, <laughs> like, it's I so think weird. It's, it's fucked up in misogyny. Yeah. I actually, weirdly enough, I had a... Well, not weirdly at all. I, the first time I went to Egypt mm-hmm. uh, and the first time I went to Beirut, Lebanon, mm. I experienced... And I was 14 or 15 when I went to Beirut. And then I was maybe 16 or 17 when I went to Egypt. And in both cases, less so the second time when I was in Egypt, but going to a Middle Eastern country and watching, you know, grown men holding hands mm. interlocking fingers walking down the street together as friends as brothers yeah. essentially uh at my especially at 14 years old when i was still in this like really limited masculinity of the western world that's just so clinical and so closed off from itself i was confronted at first by it i was like that's really weird and then mm. a salesman would come up to me and wrap his arm into my arm not interlocking fingers with my hand but to take my arm yeah. under my arm in what is essentially a lover's elbow lock. Sure, and yeah. I freaked. I was like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, where? <laughs> what, what? But like... Personal space. Personal space. <laughs> and not even just personal space, but like the gesture of mm. that, what I could not help but perceive to be a homoerotic moment and the fear and the income. And this is, you know, 14 years old. All of these societally pushed, like taboos around that physical behavior of affection and what should be considered safety and and comfort are so twisted right Mm. so yeah absolutely i think it affected you know i mean that it was actually a really good experience for me to have because then i went back to egypt and i was like oh this is amazing this is actually really wonderful i wish that i had more of this in my life and in a lot of ways maybe it's the stifling of that energy or that that you know outward expression of affection that has maybe so fucked us up you know sure i mean we're all we're all fucked up in our own way yeah, you know? yeah totally. every every culture has it has it has its shortcomings for sure it's just really interesting um you know the idea of culture shock is the real thing like and you and you get it for sure like playing this game yeah. too where you're just like oh yeah that's weird i mean but makes sense and i think <laughs> in, for in all the context for all its faults for for all the things that we can try to detract it for misogyny you know narrow portrayal of women these kinds of the fact is that if it does strike us mm. and if it does move our minds in a certain direction despite that 
narrowness. It is working as a cultural document. The game works it is, as yeah. a cultural document. And there's something interesting too. I was just thinking about. Um, you know, we we constantly and in reviews, it's been referred to as like a soap opera yeah. from from uh, Yakuza, and it's like soap opera is kind of posited as a disparaging term. Like mm. a soap opera is not serious because it's about feelings. It's not about action. <laughs> Dude, totally. <laughs> and it's uh, really cool to play a story that is kind of more about feelings than action. Like, it really is. You don't do that much. Like, you know, you punch a lot of people, but that's just like kind of the same thing as breathing air. Yeah, it's not the hero down the street. You, just, you punch things. Yeah, it's, yeah. Not a, it's not a major hindrance to your character's uh, uh, locomotion through the narrative, but like, it's really like about them reckoning with uh, reckoning with their own internal like emotions in a, in fiction in a fiction that's like a big fiction in a popular fiction yeah. like and that's something that I've seen in other like Japanese fictions like you know like uh, Evangelion is like a, the big famous anime about pretty much a teen boy's depression like yeah. that's like entire it's like thirty episodes de- dedicated to this introspective look at like you know growing up and trying to figure out how to be a man. Yep. Um, and, and I, th- yeah. I think the game actually does wear a lot of its influences right on its sleeve. Um, if you go into any of the Popo convenience stores, the 24-hour convenience mm-hmm. marts, the things that look like 7-Elevens, basically, yeah. uh, if you immediately turn to the left, there's a magazine rack. Yeah. And if you go to the magazine rack, you can actually read through descriptions of famous manga comic books, which are essentially the prototypical like soap operas for young men absolutely yeah um and the evangelion reference of course doesn't fall in deaf ears but it like literally is talking about like fist of the north star and like a lot of the other like classic 80s to 90s mangas that shaped a lot of i think the pictures of masculinity self-worth uh loyalty and honestly like the most manga and anime theme ever which definitely loops itself all the way through this game there's a fucking power of friendship this is a game that's like In that way that Naruto is all about, like, friendship in the end and the influence that we have on the people that we choose to make into our, like, extended families. Like, that's alive in these games. It uh, 100% is, and it's really interesting to see that um, legacy in the in the way the story is tell, told. And um, thinking, I'm trying to, you know, I'm really thinking of, like, um, the, similar, like the, the, the parallel case with the U.S. And, and Hollywood and, like, how Hollywood has built up this uh, way to describe masculinity in, in its own way, which is different and it's a lot more individualistic. Yeah. And it's a lot less about friendship. And I mean, there's like. Or the tribe. Yeah, or yeah, belonging to a larger group. It's a lot more. It's the action heroes, the Schwarzenegger, Rambo, like, you know, um, th- like Blade Runner, even, like the, the individual agent who sets out and. and the lone and, wolf. Cre- yeah, the lone wolf who creates change through his action. And then you see that even drummed up in. Lone Wolf Gunman. We've got yeah. a lot of those in the U.S. Exactly. You know? like, this like society is fucked up. We're, we're going to change it on our own, like because only I can change things. And these people tend to be very lonely, and you know, devoid of friendship and family. You know, yeah. but that truly, is that's celebrated in Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's interesting too because exactly on the flip, you're left with this hyper violent game. Make no mistake, Yakuza is hyper violent <laughs> some of the depictions of the face smashing and like yes. you know super <laughs> animations where your super hits are fucked up yeah but the body count is remarkably low mm. everyone almost everyone gets up to fight another day and that's a really interesting some of them decide not to yeah, yeah. they decide <laughs> smartly to uh, change their life like, choices uh, <laughs> actually it's really funny um because when you were sort of like linking the gap between both of our takes on the game 
some of the moments where I actually laughed out loud most consistently were the moments after a fight with just randomly generated thugs mm. and they would spit out one line of dialogue mm-hmm. as yeah. a group and for some reason every time because it was like a dice roll it would come yeah. up the same response every time the response came up he's not like us <laughs> I would crack <laughs> the fuck up yeah I don't know why that combination of words after a big beatdown made me laugh so hard uh-huh. but it'd be like two in the morning and I'd yeah. be like playing quietly and all of a sudden I'd be like <laughs> like that's just it was just so perfect yeah. I don't know why somewhere yeah. between like the hyper masculinity and the like these were real people before you came and rearranged their faces. Mm-hmm. They were mm-hmm. on that street corner being bullies. Yeah. But then you came along and like rearranged their meaning of a beatdown. Mm-hmm. They're like, he's not, <laughs> he's not like us. Yeah. I need to. I, I thought. I thought of life was one way. Yeah. And no. I, I've had my my perspective and mind opened up entirely. <laughs> Your face. Yeah. Opened my up face entirely. opened up as well as my perspective <laughs> on life. Like that's just how it is. Totally. Well, I think yeah. on that note, it's a very manly, very uh, sensitive and vulnerable episode. Yeah. Uh, we want to thank you all for listening, obviously. Um, that was uh, Yakuza Zero. Zero. <laughs> Zero. Oh, 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 And oh. as usual, big shouts out to at Old School Brian on Twitter yeah. uh, for doing our awesome theme music. And all y'all listeners, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time.